Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, take a look around. This is what your seatmate looks like in 2022. Remarkably the same as in 2021. Praise the Lord. Happy New Year to everyone. We pray that your holidays were good. We are so glad to see you here this morning. We have tremendous expectation for what God is going to do in our presence and do in our lives. Do you love the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. As we begin this new year, we do it appropriately, and that is by consecrating and focusing ourselves on the Lord. We will, uh, this Brother Murphy will speak at length of this a little bit later, but we'll, this is our communion Sunday, and we understand that communion is a sacred time of fellowship with God as we remember His sacrifice on the cross. We appreciate that it aligns our minds with God. Also, by extension, on Monday, January 3rd through January 23rd, with that in, with consecration and, and, and focusing on the Lord in mind, we will begin our 21 days of sacrifice. Please mark that on your calendar, and, and, and we pray that you are a participant in our endeavor this year. On Tuesday, January 4th, we will have our first evening prayer in this sanctuary at 7.30 p.m. If you're able to make it, we invite you to do so. On Sunday, January 9th, Brother A.J. Holloway will be speaking with us at 11 a.m. We are very excited to have Brother Holloway with us. And please make sure that our office has an updated address for your year-end statements. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Can we extend that a little bit further? Can we let him know that we love him and that we appreciate him and that we value him beyond all other things? Let's worship the Lord this morning.
of there in your worship. It's always a blessed thing to be in the presence of God, something I want to never take for granted. And everybody say amen. It's great to see all of you here today and Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you have a great, great year in 2022. Was thinking off and on all day yesterday. Thought we would never live to see the year 2000. Here we are, 2022. All I can say is it's just bringing us that much closer to the sound of a trumpet when we're going to be caught out of here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Thank the Lord. We welcome all of our guests here today. Thank you for coming and uh, being a part of Grace Church here on campus. Those of you watching live stream, Facebook Live, thank you as well. I want to go directly today to the Word of God. It's... Uh, it's been a wonderful uh, holiday season, at least at the Murphy household, the Murphy family. I hope the same is true for all of you. I do know that there's uh, one or two families that have had some very difficult times, and uh, our thoughts and prayers have been with you as well through the holiday season. And it should make us that much more thankful for the hand of God that's on our lives. I'm glad tonight that I don't have to default to alcohol. I don't have to default to drugs life's in turmoil and in trouble, I can go to him. Thank the Lord. I'm thankful for that today. Thank the Lord. Let me read today from Joshua chapter 1, and I would like to read verses 1 through 9. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give thee, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. I will fail thee, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto your, their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. 
Turn not from it to the right hand nor to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. I'll perhaps, if I may, start at the back row and I'll work my way up to the very front two rows of this church. I would like to preach to you for a little while this subject. The greatest generation now. Not tomorrow. Not next year. Not the year following. But now. The greatest generation now. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, This generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. The year was 1940, and it would be called the fulcrum of America in the 20th century. The nation was balanced precariously between the darkness of the Great Depression on one side and the storms of war in Europe and in the Pacific on the other. It was a critical time in the reshaping of this nation and the world. Equal to the revolution of 1776 and even the perils of the Civil War. Once again the American people understood the magnitude of the challenge. The importance of an unparalleled national commitment. And most of all the certainty that only one resolution was acceptable. The nation turned to its young to carry the heaviest burden, to fight in the enemy territory and to keep the home front secure and productive. Those young men and women of that day were eager for the assignment. They understood what was required and they willingly volunteered for their duty. The greatest generation is a term that was coined by journalist Tom Brokaw to describe the generation of Americans who grew up during the deprivation of the Great Depression and then went on to fight in World War II, as well as those productivity within the war's home front made a decisive material contribution to the war effort. Some of those who survived the war then went on to build and rebuild the United States industries in the years following World War II. The greatest generation follows what was called the lost generation of the 1880s who fought in World War I and precedes the silent generation 
of the 1930s. On a world scale, the greatest generation is often referred to as the veterans. U.S. presidents between 1945 and 1995 took part in World War II. The most famous were Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter, and George H.W. Bush. Broadcast journalist Tom Brokaw wrote in his 1988 book, The Greatest Generation, he said, this is the greatest generation any society has ever produced. I want to stop just for a moment and comment on the labels that were given at least three of these generations consecutively. He said the greatest generation follows the lost generation. And it also preceded the silent generation. I get weary and I've grown weary with labels and titles that have been given to various age groups and various culture types, especially here in America. I've grown weary with baby boomers and millennials and Generation X and Generation Z and all of these labels that are placed on people. And oftentimes, if you're a certain age group, you feel like you're kind of forced to fit into that generation whether you really fit in it or not. Because if it's applicable to your age, peer pressure says, according to culture, you must be certain things and certainly cannot be certain things. I want to submit to Grace Church here today that the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2 didn't give a rip, if you'll excuse my expression, about the culture, about social labels, about who was the elite and who was the poverty-stricken. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost did not mark its calendar to try to squeeze into some appropriate time. I believe God opened the windows of heaven and blew that known part of the world apart with an outpouring of the Holy Ghost that literally turned it upside down. I wonder what generation, what kind of generation would we be labeled as if we broke completely out of cultural norms and even broke completely out of religious norms and broke out of Pentecostal norms and said, you know what, we're going to put our face on a piece of carpet somewhere and we're going to weep and cry before God and we're going to restore our faith and we're going to renew our commitment and we're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this generation. I don't care what its label is. I don't care what its peer group says. I don't care what's going on in our culture. I wonder what would happen if we would determine we're going to rise to the occasion and be the greatest generation of believers since the day of Pentecost. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, I've decided that in 2022, I hope this is a God thing. I don't know if it is or not, but I'm going to step out on faith. If I would like to give, particularly Grace Church and this generation, a label, maybe we could begin calling ourselves the post-COVID apostolics and have a revival like we've never seen before in our lifetime.
I know, I know what I'm against. I know. I, I didn't just pick my head up out of the sand last night. I know there is a posture that's been developed on the inside of the church via media and via our culture. But I want to remind you again, when God decided to let a wind blow through that upper room, it had nothing to do with anybody else's faith. It had nothing to do with anybody else's thoughts or perspectives. It didn't matter what your posture was. It didn't matter what who your mom and daddy was. It didn't matter what side of town you lived on. It didn't matter what race you were. None of that mattered. Because when God said, I want to turn the world upside down, he found a people, a generation of people that was willing to put themselves in that place to say, God, use my generation to impact our world again. Hallelujah. You can call them ignorant. You can call them from the wrong social strata. You can label them whatever you want to label them. But nonetheless, even history outside of the Bible bears the fact that these people turn their world upside down. Broca argued in his book, The Greatest Generation, <laughs> that the men and women fought not for fame and they didn't fight for recognition. But they fought because it was the right thing to do. And when they came back from World War II, they rebuilt America into the superpower that it is today. These people decided, I'm fed up with talking about the Depression. I'm sick and tired of talking about how hard it was during the Depression. I'm tired of talking about how hard it was fighting around the world, whether it was in Germany or whether it was in somewhere in the Pacific in Japan, somewhere. I'm tired of talking about all of that. I want to turn my nose in the opposite direction. And I want to look at a country that has more potential than we can ever imagine. And I'm going to put my shoulder to the wheel and I'm going to pitch in and do my part. And together, Americans rose to the occasions and built the great country that we live in today. Why can't we do that with the church? Instead of pulling in different direction and say, I want to be like them, and I want to be like them, and I want to be like them. Why don't we be like the Word of God? Why don't we be like the Word of God and proclaim the truths of the Word of God and determine that we're going to have a revival. We're going to have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, help us today to become a generation of believers like this world has not seen before. Hallelujah to God. Everybody clap your hands and shout to the Lord. I want to see, I want to see a great generation. Greater than we've ever seen before. In biblical history, in biblical history, the time frame that I read to you out of Joshua 1 is one of the greatest moments. It's one of the greatest opportunities that I believe has ever been afforded virtually in a genera any generation. God had given to them a promise. And it was up to them totally 
to see it fulfilled or not. God had done his part by delivering them from Egypt. All the negative Nellies, those that followed the eight spies or the ten spies and all of that, all of those people were dead. And now here standing at the bank of the Jordan River stood a generation of people whose destiny was totally and solely in their hands. Their ancestors had experienced 430 years of slavery. Israel had left Egypt behind in the colossal defeat of the Red Sea. The harsh taskmasters of Egypt had been no match for God. The heavy workloads had not wilted them down. It had made them stronger. And much could be said about adversity making great men and women. Pharaoh and his armies had been no match for God. The Jewish people had proven that they were truly a bush that would not burn up. Amazingly, this has happened to us with this pandemic thing. Amazingly enough, though, the greatest distractor among the, the, of the Israelites, after all they had been through, after all they were eyewitnesses to, was the seed of doubt that infected them by those ten spies that came back and filled them with fear, which we now know was not the will of God. The two spies that said, oh, we can take it, we can do it, God is on our side. They were the ones that were in the will of God. But being because we live in some form of a democratic government, we believe the majority rules. Well, the majority's not always right. Israel, because of their doubt, had to wander about in the wilderness for 40 years until the doubters met their demise. Now young, strong hearts embraced the challenges that were to face the chosen of God as they approached Canaan. Within Scripture, there are certain elements that always give to us certain underlying meanings. The importance of going into Canaan is one of those times. This was their promise. They were on the threshold of the fulfillment of their promise. They were right there. It was right there ahead of them. One more exercise of faith was required. If you can muster the faith one more time. You know, I don't know what it was like for them to stand on one side of Jordan and see Canaan on the other. And finally, all the things you've heard all of your life by your parents and your great-grandparents, and they heard it from their parents and their grandparents, and they heard it from their parents. This has been going on for over 400 years. I said to somebody relating to all the end-time stuff that's going on in our world today and the uncertainty of our future that prophecy is an awesome thing until you start seeing it come to pass. That wasn't the case that time. That prophecy 
about to come to pass in their life was what they had hoped for, what their ancestors had hoped for. And here they were, the literally embodiment of people that was to experience in just a few days one of the greatest promises that God had ever made to his people. They were the ones. Y'all should know where I'm going by now. So for y'all to say, well, we've heard this before, I don't know. It'd be an interesting study to go back and see how many times the land of Canaan was prophesied to these people. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land. And God only knows in that 430 years of slavery and that 40 years of wandering around the wilderness, how many times they heard Canaan's land, Canaan land, Canaan land, Canaan land. It probably became some kind of a, a cliche. Was that the word you used, Ethan, the other morning? Um, well, I've heard this all of my life. I've heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it. But how did it feel to stand there at the Jordan River being the literal embodiment <laughs> out of all the hundreds and thousands of people that lived before me? I get to be the one. That's going to somehow cross that flooded Jordan River. And I'm going to be the first Israelite to step on the, uh, the other shore. Into that land called Canaan. That God has promised for hundreds of years. Come on Grace Church. Would you get behind Pastor just one time on this Sunday morning. Could we be that embodiment. Of that end time revival that God wants to have just one more time before the trumpet sounds. Could it be you and I that's going to be the ones to experience blinded eyes being opened, deaf ears being unstopped, the dead raised from back to life? Could we possibly be that group of people, the greatest generation? Could it be us? Why not us? Why not us? Why not us? We've heard Canaan. They heard Canaan. We've heard revival. I have heard revival. I'll be 65 in a few months. I've heard revival all of my life. My pastor, Curtis Young, I don't know that the man ever preached a sermon when he was pastor in Baton Rouge, it did not contain the word revival at least once. Whether it was applicable or not, the word revival came out of his mouth. I remember being on the campground and he and I walking from the tabernacle to the, to the boys' dorm on the campground. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Glenn, I'm just a young kid. I was a teenager. He looked at me and he said, I would crawl across Baton Rouge. I would crawl on my hands and knees from one end to the other if it would bring a revival to our church and to our city. There was something raised in my heart when he said that and somehow I believed him. I want to know why today, after all the years we've heard revival, why can't we be the generation? Why does it always have to be someone else? Somewhere else. Learned a long time ago. People are the same everywhere you go. One of my dad's favorite statements. Talking about high ranking politicians and all of that. 
he would say they get up and put their pants on just like I do every morning. I've heard my dad say that a thousand times. God is no respecter of persons, but I do believe that God honors faith, God honors prayer, He honors commitment, and He honors sacrifice. Why can't we be that generation? I'm sorry back there, media booth. I'm so far off of my notes. I'm trying to find a way to navigate back. So here we go. If y'all can find me, here we are somewhere. Uh, let's see on page four. So we find literally with the children of Israel. The, 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 uh, uh, the application of it to us, of them coming out of Egypt, all of that, it represents our coming out of sin, Egypt. And into a Holy Ghost relationship with God, which is Canaan. So once a person comes out of sin and into Christ, Canaan represents more of a future unknown by the people of God. That's what Canaan means. I want it, but I've never been there. I want it, but I've never experienced it. I want it. I can taste it. I desire it. I want to live there. Because I believe everything I've heard about it is true. Occupying the land of Canaan demands a new style of leadership and strategy that would progressively unfold before their eyes. Canaan's land is a new revelation of God's ways, God's presence, God's power, and God's promise. The land of Canaan is a new level of strategic spiritual warfare. It's a revival of harvest and crossing the Jordan. It's a new strategy for God to reveal himself to all nations and people. It's a model for taking cities for God that can be applied to our very own generation. So whether the church likes it or not, we're all soldiers and fighters. God never promised life and spirituality on a silver platter. Paul wrote these words to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, thou, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. General Douglas MacArthur said, In war there is no substitute for victory. Great things are born out of struggle. And I want to encourage Grace Church to give yourself to the calling that God has placed on our lives because our reward is just ahead of us. Yes, it is. And when God fills us with his spirit within every person, there comes a propensity for spiritual leadership. Our generation is in desperate need of spiritual leaders. Men and women. Men and women who will stand and rise to the occasion. The scripture said in Joshua 1, my, Moses, my servant, is dead. I'll submit to you today again, and with great reluctance I say it, but the pre-COVID church is just about gone. We've all taken a new posture. We all have different attitudes and perspectives. But this is a pastor that refuses to lose my way. We may have to rethink some things, and we may have to replan strategy to get our mindset back to where God can truly make us worthy heirs of his promise. To the children of Israel standing there at the Jordan River that day, to them it was the closing of an era. The wilderness was forever behind them now. Egypt was even further behind them. 
I'll say it again. Today we are what I'm going to call the post-COVID church. And what we do with the future that lies in front of us is entirely up to us. To them was the opening of a new time frame. Every person coming into Canaan must be baptized with a new vision, a new hope, a new desire, a new challenge to face the challenges ahead. And there is no turning back to the wilderness. And for God's sake, don't ever go back to Egypt. This is where we're living. We have a choice. We can continue on in our cultural mandate of COVID, deadness, lifelessness, stalemate, whatever you want to call it. Or we can look at God's promise through a whole nother lens. We survived COVID-19. We've survived the Delta variant and the omnipresent variant, whatever they call it now. We've survived them all. I'm still here. Y'all aren't hearing me today. We've come a long way, baby. We've gone through a lot of stuff. But I am here to submit to Grace Church today. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if God be for us, who can be against us? I remind you today that no weapon, no weapon formed against the church shall prosper. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you, and you may be seated. Joshua, y'all put this on the screen, top of page six. Joshua essentially said to those crossing the Jordan River, leave what you must and take what you're allowed. But we can't live in the past anymore. Have we realized over the past two years that there are some things that we can't take into the next stage of God's fulfilled promise in our lives? There are some things that we're going to have to leave behind. But there's a whole lot of things that God said I want you to take with you. First and foremost is a whole lot of faith and a whole lot of courage. You can leave the weenieisms behind. When that water parts, when the high priest begins to take the ark of God, across that Jordan River, and you begin to see that water part, don't stand there and stare, but get up and march into a new dimension, a new level, a new determination, a new faith. Another battle won. Another promise fulfilled. Woo! God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today.
Yeah, the tabernacle of Moses was great for the Old Testament. But in the Apostles' Day in the book of Acts, the new covenant ushered in a new spiritual structure, which was the church that God is still building to this day. Moses' methods were great for leaving Egypt, for the journey through the wilderness. But something had to change to go into Canaan. Joshua had to move from the wilderness wandering tabernacle strategy to a God-led, promise-fulfilling, city-taking strategy. Men and women who continue to maintain an Egypt wilderness mindset will be doomed to spiritual stagnation. I don't want to be cruel and I don't want to be insensitive today. This is a hard part of this sermon. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is for something near and dear that has surrounded us for years to die. I believe one of the most prolific statements made in the Bible was said by the prophet Isaiah when he said in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord. I've never known a child of God that lost their mentor, that lost that great influence in their life to go backwards. The great child of God pursues forward. And instead of depending on that leader, they become leaders themselves. And they develop into stalwart people who fear nothing. May I, at this very critical moment, as I'm bringing this to a close, I still admire the Taylor family. I don't sit and stare, but I do observe. Brother Richard lost his wife of many years. Kids lost their mother, grandkids lost their grandmother. And I pondered, what would they do? They're as faithful or more now than they were before that happened. As a matter of fact, Kelly has just joined our Sunday school staff and now is teaching a Sunday school class. Their family gave up nothing. That's great from her students. That's your class doing that. Amen. I think they love Sister Kelly. But instead of falling behind and I say in all due respect and just wallowing in sorrow and misery. They've had their share of hurt. But when one of the great leaders in their home passed on and went to her reward, what did they do? They said, we're going to step up. We're going to do our best to step into that place mom had. And instead of her mentoring our kids, we're going to start mentoring our kids. And instead of doing less for the kingdom of God, we're going to start doing more for the kingdom of God. That's what you do. That's what you do. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw more of God than I ever dreamed existed. So let me bring now my sermon from the back now all the way down to the front. I had asked... Sister Merv, let me rewind. She's been going down memory lane somewhat through this holiday season. and It's a wonderful thing. She's had pictures printed 
and all of that. But she came across a picture of Pastor Merv sitting in a Sunday school class when I was about 13 years old, I guess. Some of you may have seen that picture. And I sat the other day and stared at that picture for a long time. And I think I, st I still know everybody in that class with the exception of maybe one or two. Recognized their face. And as I looked at them, I wondered, where are they now? I'm happy to report that most of them are still serving God today. Others have had a very tragic ending. Others are not serving God. But I looked at that generation and at least based on that Sunday school class, I think if my memory serves me right, I'm the only pastor that came out of that group. But there was a couple of girls in there that was pastor's wives. That was that generation. And it was about as many of us in that class as there are here today. Maybe we, we have a few short here today, but there's about 25 to 30 of us in that class. There's about 25 to 30 of our junior high through college age kids, students that attend Grace Church. You've heard what pastor's preaching this morning. I don't think any of you are short on understanding. You're probably sitting there today as I bring this down to the front two rows of this church. Your thoughts are probably very similar to those of Joshua. First and foremost, if God is wanting me to rise to some place of leadership, the first big question I have to ask is, can I do this? I asked that question when I felt called to ministry. Can I do it? And my answer to myself was no. But God knew otherwise. The second question Joshua asked is also one that I've asked. Is there anyone else who is more talented than I am to do the job? I look over there at them three. Y'all to preach every service with them three sitting over there. One of them uses words I've never heard before. I won't call Brother Ben's name, but I think y'all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> they have college degrees, and they read more books than I do, and they study probably more than I do, and they do all of this stuff more than I do. And I sit here sometimes, stand here sometimes, and say, God, why me, when they seem to be far more qualified? But for at least for this moment, God don't want them in this spot. He wants me in this spot. Hello! That doesn't make any difference to me, and you're looking at Brother Self, low self-esteem, as you all know. But all across the front rows of this church, don't sit there and think that God always goes for talent and knowledge and ability. God doesn't. God goes for faithfulness and commitment. That's what God looks for. <laughs> and may I say humbly this morning, I'm not the first ignorant man that God has used to build a church with. And certainly won't be the last. Is there someone else who is more mature than I am? Remember this. God desires courage in us. 
But fear has its proper place and can often do a holy work in us. Yes, it can. God never intended that we should feel no fear. We are to fear and distrust ourselves. We are to fear danger as something beyond our own strength. The Bible said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Beginning of wisdom. The Bible says to work out our own soul's salvation with. The Bible said, but all fear as we look within is to be given up to courage as we look towards God. Joshua's thoughts were full of second guessing and doubting. But when God brings success to your life, never question it. Go on, for you may succeed where better men fail. One can never forget the labors of their predecessors. We all know the story, the Bible sequence, between Paul and Apollos. Apollos where the Bible teaches us that one man plants, another man waters. But God gives the increase. You put yourself in God's place. You put yourself in the will of God. I looked at my little, I guess, 13-year-old face back in that picture. If I had any inkling back then that this is where I would be now, I'd have probably had a stroke and fallen off of that chair, and I'd have been dead now for the past 40-something years, 50-something years, however long it's been. I'm saying that to say, I look at all these faces along here. There it is. I didn't know they sent it back there. There it is. Can y'all spot Pastor Murph anywhere? Yeah, if I had my little pointer up here, I'd tell you who these people are. No, most of them. One of them has spent most of his life in jail in Angola. One committed suicide out of that group. But there was more that went to ministry than more that went to failure like that. And I thank God for that. Whom the Lord calls, he qualifies. One of the most important keys to Joshua's preparation is found in Exodus 33. And I want to submit something to our young people. And I want all of our moms and dads to hear it. If y'all want to go get started for communion, that's... <clears throat> and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaks unto a friend. And he turned again into the camp, and his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Listen to Pastor. I want all of our young people to listen. Some of you are starting to work altars. We have an amazing JV team that we call it. They're playing music. We have them back there in the sound booth, the production booth. They work in Sunday school classes and nursery. They're all over this building. They sing. They're amazing. But you listen to Pastor today. You listen to me. Public anointing will never supersede private devotion. In other words, God will not anoint you more in public than the time you spend with him in private so I want you to start bugging your parents to have you here this coming Tuesday night at prayer meeting I want all of our young people
to be a prayer meeting this coming Tuesday night. We have some that come all the time and they very seldom miss. But a reason a lot of them miss is because their parents aren't motivated to come. I would like for you to be their motivator. Mom, dad, pastor, ask us. We have moms and dads that back there cringing. Oh, come on, pastor. Really? Do we have to? I'm tired. Look, we have an opportunity ahead of us. And if we'll sacrifice a little bit, no telling what God will do in you or your life and your family. And that he'll also do in this church. If you'll stand with me this morning. The qualification of the person will always begin in the house of God. There will be lonely places of prayer, but in those lonely places, God continues to add strength and hope and stamina to men in prayer closets. So if you'll notice the screen, when the Lord, whom the Lord calls, he qualifies. When he entrusts authority, he procures them respect. When he sends them into conflict, he secures them the victory. And when he gives them the victory, he intends them to take possession. So when God chooses men, rest assured that he is aware of what he is doing. God wanted them. He needed men and women that stood on the bank of the Jordan River that day. About to step into their Canaan's land. He needed people that had enough courage that had enough faith to eject the Canaanites. So a soldier was needed. The first Pentecostal sermon, an impulsive Simon Peter was chosen. For the great commission in, in Asia Minor and Southern Europe, a passionate Paul was chosen. For the testimony on the plain of Dura, three inflexible, unbowing Hebrew boys were chosen. For the winning of favor from Artaxerxes, the devout yet courtly Nehemiah was chosen. God's man or woman and God's will will always correspond. Omnipotence never chooses to waste itself on human awkwardness. God cements things that fit. So our attitude today in conclusion is the musicians come greatest generation is before us it's imperative church that spectators must become players those who sit in pews must become highly motivated volunteers attendees must become serving forces everyone must get involved it is an attitude and conduct that says I am committed to the course I know my calling I will pursue that calling with all of my heart I will give myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word I will use everything that God has equipped me with. I will never alone for I am never alone for God is always with me. I am aware that no obstacle is too big for God. I am aware that no heart is too hard for God. I realize that there are still some things that God will bring to life in my heart. Some would perhaps think this is far too big to seek for, but not for the greatest generation. God made a lot of promises to the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And he fulfilled every one of them as long as they were willing to walk in his way and walk in his will and purpose.
I'm asking this church today, I'm asking our students, are you willing to make that commitment? Are you willing to live like it? Are you willing to look like it? Are you willing to talk like it? I'm asking for a church-wide commitment to prayer and fasting. Tomorrow we begin our 21 days of sacrifice. I'm asking everyone to participate. Let's become the greatest generation. And so I must ask, if we're not the greatest generation, what is holding us back? Is it worldliness? Is it carnality? Is it fear? I'm asking everybody here today to dig down deep, to step out on faith, and determine I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm going to start this year, and I'm going to make a commitment like I never made before. You can do this. I'm on board with you. Pastor's going to do it too. We've got to step up to the plate and be recipients of his promise. If two of you gentlemen would come over to this side, just stand in alignment with that aisle. You two would stand in front of that aisle over there. We've done this many times. You all know the drill. This is our altar service today. Because we're going to make a commitment. It all goes back to Calvary. If Jesus did that, what's our excuse from doing and becoming what he's called us to be and become? What's our excuse? We have none. I say we can do it. So folks, you'll move as quickly and reverently as you can. You'll just exit out to this wall. Those of you on this side, go get your uh, communion elements and go back to your seat. You folks on this side, do the same.
presence here today that we believe is made manifest for this moment in which we stand here today. After the past almost two years, some of the most challenging times that any of us here today has ever faced. We're still here to preach another sermon, sing another song, and pray another prayer. And for that, I thank the Lord. But I believe, God, you've called Grace Church to step up to the plate again. I believe you want to take this bunch of people and use them for mighty, mighty things. As we began the challenge of a new year, and only God knows what's ahead of us, we do know this your church through the ages has been tried by fire and flood persecution, despair the list is endless but those who are determined you've provided for and you've sustained and I believe today standing in front of this pulpit is a determined group of people we're determined to see all of God's promise come to pass in this world and I pray that you use Grace Church to be an intricate part of it. I'm thankful, God, for every blessing you've bestowed upon our lives. I'm thankful for every dollar that this church has given, not only for our local ministry, but for our state, for our nation, and to impact lives of people around the world. Thank you for your generosity. And I pray now that the impetus is on us that we rise to the occasion as well. As much as you're a God that never fails, may we be a people that never fails, that we'll always rise to the occasion, that we'll recover from our errors and our mistakes, and we'll pursue onward into that rich promise of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Today you hold in your hand two things that are symbolic of the sacrifice of Calvary. You hold a small cracker bread, if you will, that represents his body, the Bible said, that was broken for us. The other hand, you have his blood, what represents his blood and the fruit of the vine. And Jesus said, you do show forth his coming when you do this. I want him to know we've not forgotten our knowledge and understanding of Calvary. Aren't you thankful here today to be able to take a part of it? Together, folks, let's partake of the bread together, shall we? without saying today I'm so thankful for the blood of Christ where would we be without his blood let's partake of the fruit of the vine together wonderful wonderful time would you lift your hands and thank God for his presence for all of his blessing for all that he's provided hallelujah hallelujah generation of people is going to rise to the occasion. We want to see the will and purpose of God in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. God bless you this morning. Wonderful presence of the Lord. Thank you for listening. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7.30 at prayer meeting. At Bible study, Tuesday night prayer meeting at 7.30. God bless you. We'll see you then.